Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're here to entertain you. We'll sing your songs for good times, the best times. You can't go wrong. We'll two step, a new step. It won't be long when the Dixielands are playing. Soon you'll be swaying, so come on, sing along. Greetings, space travelers, and welcome to another episode of Before My Time. I am your space host, Gelsey Laurie, and we are going to talk about space balls, you guys. I'm so excited. Hold on to your giggle machines, because here we go. Hailing from the Garrettscape, welcome one and all to Masters of the Media. In a land of pop culture podcasts, I, filmmaker Garrett Briones, and my quote-unquote co-host Jack Watson look at the why of the stories we love and figure out why they connect with us. The show is all about loving the media you love and appreciating the underappreciated. It's a celebration of storytelling and also two pals making each other laugh at random impressions and the silliest things you can imagine. You can find Masters in the Media on all your favorite podcatchers and right here on the Geekscape Network. We hope to see you all on the Garrettscape. Gelsey, we are, we are at a point where Spaceballs is now 35 years old, which means that this movie's not technically before my time. It's before mine. Before your time. And I would say that while we're primarily talking about Spaceballs, we're going to dabble enough into Mel Brooks's career leading up to the creation of Spaceballs that like Mel Brooks's early career is definitely before my time. This was the first Mel Brooks release of me being alive. <laughs> oh yeah. No, Mel Brooks is definitely, and I, it's like, I don't want to go too much on tangents on Mel Brooks because for, I'm one of the biggest fucking fans of Mel Brooks. And I could just sit, like I could talk for three hours on blazing saddles alone. So yeah, we won't dive too deep into, to everything, but we will just say that Mel Brooks, obviously, uh, a comedic actor, on stage comedian for a, a stint and filmmaker, um, blew up on his directorial debut, The Producers, in 1967. Uh, followed that up with 12 Chairs, which is not really a parody of anything per se. <laughs> um, it's just an adaptation of a book. Uh, but then with Blazing Saddles, really kind of hits his stride of spoofing different types of films. We get the Western with Blazing Saddles. We get the 1950s Universal movie with Young Frankenstein. We get a parody of silent films with silent movie, his Hitchcock send off with high anxiety. And then he just made a parody of history in general with history of the world part one, and then took what was a six year break from (laughs) filmmaking only to return with Spaceballs. I love it. And I, I read that when he was thinking about it, he's like, you know, I've his son loved Star Wars and he's watching. He's like, sci-fi. I haven't touched. I haven't wrecked sci-fi. I think is what he said. Yeah. He's like, I've destroyed a Western, destroyed this, got, you know. And, and so this even, I mean, was 10 years after Star Wars came out. 
Which a lot of the critics harped on, which... Yeah, uh, it got really bad reviews. Yeah, they, but it was like, I was reading some of the reviews, and the thing that annoys me is that the reviews were like, yeah, this is really funny, but why are we making a Star Wars movie so late? Two stars. And it's like, well... Little do they know we're going to be making Star Wars movies 30 years later. And I think that this movie wouldn't have worked if he had made it in 1978, because this movie works well because it's fleshed out of all of the prequels and all of the movies that came after Star Wars on the mm-hmm. height of the Star Wars train, right? So, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, and it's I not think... even a Star Wars parody. I mean, no, it's hands down a Star Wars parody, but there's so many other movies sprinkled in here. Oh, there's a, there's a little bit of Alien. Alien there's 2001, yeah, which... Planet of the Apes. Like, it's it's all over the Star place. Star Trek references, yeah. Yeah. And it's, I love it. Um, <laughs> did you know that the plot is inspired by Frank Capra's 1934 classic, It Happened One Night? No, but Clark that Gable. that completely makes sense. I would have mm-hmm. never pieced she that leaves, together. But she leaves yeah. her marriage wedding day to go off because she doesn't want to marry the nobleman she's not in love with, and she meets kind of a lower life, charming scum Clark Gable and falls in love. Yeah, it's basically exactly that. So remind me because I feel like this was an off-air conversation. You have not seen it happen one night yet. I have not seen it. No. Okay. I think that's the one that I told you to save for whenever you make it out here to PA. And that'll be like the first movie of our hangout sleepover is uh, it happened one night. So perfect. Just so long as you're not here on a Monday, I think we can uh, make that work with your schedule. Right now. <laughs> I work on Mondays, ladies and gentlemen. The only day I work. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Cause this, but... so this film came out, uh, 1987 was released June 24th. It did. Yeah, the budget was twenty two point seven million, and the box office was thirty eight point one million. So it's not like it had this overwhelming. No, it's a modest hit. Like exchange, it, I think it's with time it gets a better following and has a better. You know, it's kind of it really has become a cult classic. And for a lot of people, this is their famous fa- favorite Mel Brooks. A lot of people, this is their only Mel Brooks movie they know, just because they're like, oh, a Star Wars parody. I love this movie. I didn't realize I was watching it when I was kind of resting the other day i didn't need to rewatch i've seen it so many times but i just didn't realize how much almost on a daily basis i quote this movie but it's not my favorite mel brooks movie so no i don't know um, how i would pick great. a favorite mel brooks movie honestly because I they're I have all to do, like, so top good three. yeah yeah um, same that's, that's an outro question but so, um so here's something that really annoyed me <laughs> as i was doing some research on this movie that this one the worst picture of the year award. I saw for, that and I was really some, disappointed. Yeah. Did you look at what the other movies were that were nominated? Because that makes you even more upset. No. <laughs> so the final ballad was between Spaceballs, which shouldn't even be on the list at no, all. Somehow one. Leonard part six, Ishtar, and the Garbage Pail Kids movie, which are all unwatchable trash oh i've seen all three and they're all unwatchable trash and then some of the what they called the dishonorable mentions so the movies that were in contention to be amongst the worst movie winner but didn't make it to the final ballad include such stuff as like beverly hills cop 2 ernest goes to camp um jaws the revenge surf nazis must die teen wolf 2 silent night deadly night 2 revenge of the nerds 2 like you're telling me Spaceballs is worse than all of those movies that i just the person that's picking that that was like one person's decision and they just you know how there's always someone that's like that was stupid yeah they just had it out and there's whatever they can go jump off a bridge and it was a, it so was an, a Los Angeles-based group of film buffs and film critics devoted no, to honoring to the worst like, films of the year. Yeah, no, 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 we don't like them. I don't like them because this is just a brilliant. Let's talk about this brilliant cast. So, cast as Lone Star is Bill Pullman. So I didn't know that he was nobody before this film. He'd only done one picture before, and. Mel Brooks saw him in an off-Broadway play and he was like, oh my God, this guy has like the charm and presence. He's perfect. Now, this was, there were other people that were offered in the beginning. Brooks tried to get Tom Cruise, Tom Hanks, and they all turned it down. And Bill Pullman said, I think Mel was hurt that they didn't take him up on it, but then it attracted two of the biggest comics at the time, John Candy and Mick Moranis. Once that was secured, then he said, heck, I'll get someone nobody knows and I got a chance to do it. 
which I love hearing stories like that because there are so many people. I understand the idea of getting a big name, but there's just so many talented people out there that are just trying to bust through and trying to get in and and work and show their talent. Don't get the opportunity to. So it's like I love when you see movies that give it to somebody that is perfect for a role without a name. And he and talk and about look at his career. Who, I mean, Bill Pullman is awesome. I was going to say a guy who really has had, you know, a has had a fantastic career of like some very iconic movies um, dabbled in practically every genre underneath the sun um, mm-hmm. between indie films, comedies, horror films, etc. And then on top of it, like all things considered seems just like a stand up guy. You don't hear any real he negative really things about him. Like- I know I was introduced to him first. Um, I want to say, do you remember the movie Mr. Wrong with Ellen DeGeneres? I I do remember Joan Mr. Cusack, Ron. and he's he's just stalking Ellen DeGeneres and trying to, and that was my first. Um, I guess that in like Independence Day, but um, I think he's my great. first one was Casper. Actually, oh of course, oh my gosh, yes, and he's in Casper. That I would have seen around the same time. I think I watched Mr. Wrong first. My dad had that on one time when I was I'm, really little. I'm shocked that you didn't say it was Newsies because I've you never seem seen like a gr- Newsies. I just saw it for the first time over the pandemic. I always get a lot just, of backlash for that one. I was going to say, you seem like someone who would have watched Newsies. I know. I never did. I know. I'm actually, everyone's like, what? And I'm like, it just wasn't on. And if no one shows it to you as a kid, then how am I supposed to I, find it? I probably, honestly, as I'm looking at his list of films, I probably saw them first in a league of their own, but I don't really remember oh, God, his a league character of their own. that much. Yeah, what a God, Bill! I love you. What a great career you've had, and I'm <laughs> so glad, Mel. Has. Mel, thanks for putting Bill in your movie. What a real stand-up guy. He's he really is like perfect for this role, though the the a la Han Solo. So then, as Princess Vespa, we have Daphne Zuniga. Yeah, I never, I have never figured out how to pronounce his last name. But. Yeah, so sorry, Daphne, but I love your first name. Um, she had recently starred in Rob Reiner's film, The Sure Thing, and Mel Brooks offered her the role. And he said, when I first offered her the role, she said, I don't know, I don't have much comedy. I said, that could be a plus. And I explained to her that a part of good comedy is playing it very seriously, which is true. So, you know, she was a lot of actors and a lot of my friends that are actors are very scared by comedy because they're like, oh, that's this thing but it, it is true if you watch unless you're watching kind of a screwball comedy well this is a screwball comedy what am i saying a slapsticky caricature type acting will ferrell say like you know it's that's not playing it straight it, it kind of is though i'm going on a tangent but yeah the best way to do comedy is just play it as real as possible now whatever character you're in playing it real that's that's where i'm kind of getting at and she does she plays she's she's a great actress and i think she's just a doll she's adorable and she's yeah she's great of- for this role she kind of didn't really have too big of a career following this, unfortunately. Like it's yeah, it's kind of a bummer when you scroll through an actor or an actress's like Wikipedia page and you see less things hyperlinked than things hyperlinked, and you're like, oh, <laughs> like it kind of tells you they were in a lot of movies that no one even even bothered to make a Wikipedia page about. Where you're like, oh, mm-hmm. that's a it's a shame because she is she's a she's attractive, she's funny. She really, she nails this character. You hate Princess Vespa when you're supposed to, and you love her when you're supposed to love her. And, exactly. And there's never a point where, like, I don't know, it, because that's a hard, I don't think people appreciate how hard it is to play a character that you're supposed to hate at certain points and like at certain points and get that switch to flip in a natural way for the audience watching it. Hands down. It's very well said and yeah she does she does do that nicely and has that switch nicely where you do fall in love and i think it's on that journey too between princess vespa and lone star kind of their hatred for each other and then them falling in love with each other you kind of go on that journey as well with them and so that's where you you switch with her which i I love all the cheesy over the top obvious you know kind of they're gonna be terrible and when they meet and they're like oh gosh it's it just yeah. so it's great it's it's awesome and they play it so well i i just uh, love i can't believe i never knew that this was inspired by <laughs> by it happened one night because it, it totally night. is i love that movie yeah. so much that's so Mel Brooks is a genius. he absolutely um, is yeah moving on to barf 
is played by John Candy. That is our half dog, half man. I'm my own best friend. He's a mog. John Candy is, I mean, we don't need to talk about the genius of him. And he is, was with Second City and so was Rick Moranis at the time. So they kind of were their two improv kings in this film. So a lot of the one-liners were improv, but he wore a 30 pound battery pack on his costume to make the animatronic ears and tail go. And they said he was just a real awesome trooper and just showed the kind of person and work ethic he had that he really didn't complain and just put through. And if he needed a break, he would ask for it and just say, can I, can I take a second? Can I sit down? And then when he was ready, go, okay, let's do it. And I love hearing when any type of performer has a good work ethic because it's, it's part of the job. It's, it's a hard job and you put up with a lot of, shit and physical strain but at the end of the day if you love it it's worth it and you just hear about so many divas and so but john candy's hilarious i know he improved the line when they crash and he's like whoa whoa, wait and they're in the seatbelts and he goes to talk to princess vespa and he tries to get up after him and he oh that's gonna leave a mark yeah that one was improved and the other thing that's worth noting about these uh, these two specifically is like right now in 2022, it's easy to look at the cast of uh, SCTV and be like, oh, my God, the, like talk about a short lived show that was almost as influential, if not more influential than Saturday Night Live. But despite that, really, like they didn't have massive runaway success actors except for John Candy and Rick Moranis. Mm-hmm. Like those yeah. were the two biggest people to blow up out of that scene because in the book, uh, wild and crazy guys, uh, which is a book I've talked about on here before, it's pro- slowly becoming my favorite book of all time. So if you love seventies and eighties comedy, it's a must read, but they talk about how like you really had to do digging to find SCTV in the States. It, it was like played at like two in the morning on random Saturdays after SNL. Like it was just buried, but mm. John Candy and Rick Moranis' charm was just so like un undeniable. And yeah. now you look at it and you got Catherine O'Hara from there and you got Eugene right. Levy. Pretty much half of Shit's Creek came from there. You got Martin Short out of there. But at the time, these were really the only two no- notable actors to come from that scene. Yeah, it's it's crazy how that kind of and I'd hope I know a lot of I was just talking about this with my friends um, about like Adam Sandler as an example of I love seeing people that you see a whole team like every Adam Sandler movie has the same side players. He, he puts his friends in his movie and he always has and you still see them. And I love when you kind of see that in directors or comedians that, you know, someone that used to be with someone in Second City, they might have pulled them up with them or, you know, it's just kind of that group like, look, we're in this together and whoever gets there first will help the other kind of a feel. And not saying that that's exactly what happened here, but I I do feel like a lot of that world was like that, which I love. Well, and another great story was that John Candy was on multiple occasions cast in movies where he didn't think that he was right for the part and would recommend Rick Moranis every single time. And I think two of the big examples was Ghostbusters. He was supposed to play Louis Tully and he was supposed to play the dad in, in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And in both, and in both of those situations, he said, I'm not the right guy for this part. You got to hire my friend Rick. Like, so that's, I love that. Like, so, and I love, let's, let's talk about Rick Moranis. Cause yeah. Oh, steals the show. He is, he he, is the star of this movie. Mel Brooks said that he cost him so much money because Mel Brooks ruined so many takes helplessly laughing. Like he's like, I couldn't like Rick Moranis would make Mel Brooks laugh so much that he would ruin the take. And they'd be like, fuck, we have to do it again. And, And that's why he cost him so much money. Cause he's, so funny and he improved a lot i didn't realize how much he improved in this film and i think that's why he got him laughing so hard because he would do things that they would just like couldn't hold it together and he came up with a you know obviously they it's funny because he's really short and so they decided to get this huge helmet and uh mel brooks said the giant helmet is a sight gag that works every time. It was big, dumb, funny idea. It was the kind of cartoonish joke that worked for adults as well as kids, which is so true. Every time he walks on the screen, he doesn't even have to do anything and you're laughing because it's just ridiculous. But it was Rick Moranis' idea to change the voice 
of you know when the helmet's down to yes that or when it's up he's like yeah. i can't breathe in this thing <laughs> and it's it's such a good it's so funny i mean i want to say when i i've watched it a million times and i will always laugh out loud at his lines and his performance versus everyone else's in the film and I love, I again, reading that book, I learned to really love Rick Moranis as kind of a like, Person. I would describe Rick Moranis as very punk rock. He he was, he might not look it because he was this like <laughs> kind of awkward, nerdy guy. But the, the way that, you know, the most famous character of SCTV was him and uh, Dave Thomas doing the McKenzie brothers. And that came from, when he found out that um, the Canadian broadcast network requires every one of their shows to have at least one eighth of the show must have exclusively Canadian content that would only make sense in Canada was like the way that it was worded. And he's like, this is stupid. We're all Canadians. Like it's a hundred percent Canadian content. Like what the hell do they mean that our show is not Canadian enough? So he, <laughs> he said, give me a camera and leave me alone. And him and Dave Thomas just bought a case of beer, set up a camera in front of a map of Canada and created the McKenzie brothers as a completely improvised mockery of the worst stereotypes about Canadian people. And it became the runaway hit of the show. <laughs> but that came That's from great. him just being like, this rule's stupid. So we're going to make fun of it. <laughs> like, I love that. That's great. That's where the best things are for born from. And he's obviously had an incredible career as well. And, and the roles he's played have been incredible. He's an incredible singer too. I mean, yeah. wow, little shop of horrors, but it, there was that time. It was a couple of years ago and everyone's like, what happened to Rick Moranis? And like, why did he stop acting in this, that? And it's such a tragic this breaks, story. My, yeah. breaks my heart, but he lost his wife and he left the industry to go be a single parent and raise his family and be there for his kids, which is such a devastating, sad story. But it also is just like made me love him even more that I'm like, God, that just shows his character that instead of going, I'm, in the height of my success and can get even more successful and, and I'm going to keep doing that and I can just get the money and have someone else help my kids. It like did the reverse where it put life in a perspective of what's important. And he's like, great, I've done this. I love it, but that's not important. My family's important. My kids are important and I need to be there for them. And it just, I literally was like, I couldn't have loved him more. And, and that made me love him more. Did you hear that he's coming out of retirement very soon? What? Disney Plus convinced him to do a sequel to Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Shut the fuck up. I didn't know that. Oh <laughs> my just, gosh. You I guys can't see me, that. but I am doing like the biggest like dance right now of excitement. Yeah. <gasps> oh. Yeah, it's going to be called exciting. Shrunk. And I think it's oh. going to be exclusively for Disney Plus. Good. Thank you, Rick. We need that. I yeah. We need you. We need, the most we need recent update was in January 2022. John, wait, who is Gad real quick? Josh Gad. So... Josh Gad said that him and Rick Moranis have started collaborating on preparation for the sequel. So the concept is that Josh Gad plays the grown-up version of his son, Nick. And I guess it's like a continuation of the Zelensky <laughs> family. I'm, I can't wait. I'm so excited. I grew up with those. <laughs> I grew up with those movies and I always loved they had like the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids playground in Disney World where there was like yeah. the giant grass blades that you'd slide down. And I, I absolutely cannot wait. Um, anyways, moving on to Dot our droid who's kind of the handmaiden droid to princess vespa she's like a female c-3po it is voiced by joan rivers who does a fantastic i mean we don't need to say much about joan rivers to give her the props she deserves she's a comedic genius and legend herself but she was not the one inside so she went back and did all the voiceovers um inside was a professional mime lorraine yarnell yep and she was said to be you know just like a real trooper in case in the shell of the robot costume um especially when they were shooting on location in yuma arizona for all the desert scenes and the temperature sometimes would get up to like 110 and she just like trooped through everyone was like she was incredible with you know her work ethic talk about that and just being in like a really rough working condition i do i did read somewhere that she was supposed to also be the voice but i don't think it was like coming across right or something and so mel brooks turned to joan rivers as an after production thought and she came in and recorded it and it's so iconic with her voice i mean she's she has such an iconic voice so yeah and yarnell is worth bringing up because she was part of the shields and yarnell duo 
uh, which was a popular miming duo. I know them because of their appearance on The Muppet Show. But she was a dancer in such films as Bye Bye Birdie, Shindig, and appeared frequently on The Carol Burnett Show. Did a lot of off-Broadway musicals, uh, but she did unfortunately pass away of an aneurysm uh, in 2010 when she was 66 years old. But uh, if you get a chance, the Shields and Yarnell episode of The Muppet Show is it okay. ranks pretty high for me. It's it's a f- I'll check it out. I mean, you it's don't a have to say one. Muppets twice. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was like, how do we work in The Muppets this one? Well, Yarnell. <laughs> <laughs> Which, ladies and gentlemen, we don't actually try to work in the Muppets. It just naturally does happen. Look, it's like off. six degrees to Kevin Bacon. We can do like two degrees One to degree the Muppets. The Muppets. <laughs> <laughs> Starting with I am a Muppet. So there we go. Um, so playing yogurt and President Scroob is Mel Brooks, of course, himself, which I always love. Clearly, he's a great writer and great director, but I, I do love the roles that he plays in his films because – I feel like he does it so well because he knows exactly what he's envisioning and he just does it. And he's got this thing about him, you know, and I love I love the old kind of Jewish Yiddish vibe he always brings in uh, clearly connects very well with my family and that kind of Jewish humor that he nails and just emulates is also something I grew up with heavily. And I feel like a lot of Jewish families all like I, it's rare that you'll meet a Jew that's like hasn't seen or loves Mel Brooks because we're all just he he knows how to get us. But even just the <laughs> the accent of yogurt like coming out, you know, like merchandising. No, yeah, merchandising. <laughs> like it's so good. And it's just like, oh, my gosh, I know people like that. So. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I love that. And speaking of merchandising, so they did, Mel Brooks did send the script to George Lucas because obviously he he kind of was asking for permission, but if not to get his permission, it was just to give him a heads up that he was doing like a Star Wars it's, move to be it's like- It's kind of a Weird hey, Al thing, is, right? Like Weird Al doesn't happening. have to ask for permission to do his song parodies, but it's like yeah. a sign of respect to just be like, hey, <laughs> so you're not caught off guard when this happens. Absolutely. And that's- and. <laughs> George Lucas did respond. He read it and responded it. And he said he was a big fan of Mel Brooks and he liked the script, but he had one, only one rule and for him to make the movie. Um, he said, you can do this, but you can't have any merchandising because he goes, any of your merchandising will look too similar to ours. So that was like the only, no action figures basically. Yeah. And that agreement was actually what sparked Mel Brooks's idea for yogurts. What exactly do you do here? What is this place? Yeah. Merchandising. Spaceballs, Spaceballs the, the t-shirts. <laughs> Kids love it. And Spaceballs the doll. Adorable. May the um, sports be with you. <laughs> it, it really was an expose to the movie business that, you know, it's like a lot of the movies do make huge box office money, but the real money, and I do believe I forget what the numbers are of Star Wars, but the the majority of the money that Star Wars like bank banked on was the merchandising, not the films itself. Well, and that's where I mean, to this day, we're still waiting for Spaceballs 2, the search for more money that that yogurt <laughs> promises us. Apparently, Rick Moranis really wanted to do Spaceballs 3, the search for Spaceballs 2, which I think is also <laughs> a really great idea. Um why is he such a genius? <laughs> one thing I want to say about Mel Brooks real quick is one of my favorite Mel Brooks stories. Um, and obviously we will do a full episode on Young Frankenstein, but Young Frankenstein mm-hmm. is probably the closest to a collaborative film that he did because Gene Wilder was extremely involved in the making mm-hmm. of that movie. I believe he essentially only agreed to do Blazing Saddles in exchange for Mel Brooks making this crazy Frankenstein um, idea come true or kind of not really not. Yeah. I, there's a whole story and I do know it, but it, it was kind of a last minute replacement. He didn't want to play that role in blazing saddles. Cause he didn't feel like he was right for it, but the original actor they got for that role really did have a drinking problem, which the character does. <laughs> and they last minute needed a replacement. So Mel Brooks called Gene Wilder and like he was on a flight, got off a plane and just went straight to set and just was like, all right, let's shoot it. And they did the, the first scene when you meet him it was kind of how well, that, but but the the noteworthy thing about Young Frankenstein is that it's pretty much the only Mel Brooks movie where Mel Brooks isn't 
in it, except for I think he does the voiceover of a cat meow or something. And the mm-hmm. <laughs> the reasoning for that was that Gene Wilder wanted the film to feel as authentic and real to the Universal films as possible. And he said, quote, Mel, you are incapable of being serious in front of a camera. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I mean, that, he's got that a was, point. It was one of his rules was you are not allowed to be seen in this movie or people are immediately going to start laughing before any of the jokes show up. <laughs> I didn't realize how much Mel Brooks had such an impact on me, an impression on my style of comedy. And even as a performer, I think like every time I watch any of his films, which I've seen them all again a million times, they're like comfort films at this point. But the style and this, that of, of kind of how I live my life, I was like, wow, I, I took so much from, from Mel Brooks. He's, he's got a gift, but he definitely is more of a, very silly. I mean, his jokes and a lot of his jokes that, you know, are uh, running jokes in a lot of the films, the one would be walk this way. No, this way. And, you know, kind of, I don't yeah. want to get too much in that. It's a young Frankenstein, but um, one of the bits that they do in this movie, which they, he was kind of inspired by blazing saddles where they're all named Johnson. The last name is the whole town. Everyone's a Johnson. Well, and this one is the, everyone's an asshole. Yeah. Goes, I'm an asshole, sir. We all are. I knew it. I'm surrounded, surrounded by, by assholes. assholes. Like his style, no one else. I mean, you have s- silly humor and he has very silly humor. There's parodies and, and other styles, you know, you could say almost like some of Monty Python's style can cross over, but Mel Brooks really is Mel Brooks. And it's, it's the, the Mr. Coffee and Mr. Radar kind of jokes of of course I always have Mr. Coffee when I watch Radar <laughs> and you yeah. go over and it's Mr. Radar and like those those kind of things and Pizza the Hut and watching the VHS tape of it where it's you know like even in the future we're oh my gosh when movies. they watch it and he's like wait come over here he's like how can we watch baseball the movie it's not even finished yet we're in the middle of production he's like that's the newest thing they're starting to get them out now and and when they watch it and it's looking at themselves on the screen and then looking at the camera and it turns on and like that <laughs> that is such a genius move and he's like when was that just now so it's now no it was then that was two <laughs> seconds ago it just passed well when is now just now when you missed it like it's, it's so brilliant it's so, when did then become now <laughs> It's that, and also the mix of breaking the fourth wall, and this is something Mel Brooks does so beautifully in all of his films, and he does it quite a bit in this movie, is when he decides to break the fourth wall and talk to the audience. And it's kind of, it could be, you know, when they're doing the plan and and Rick Moranis or Dark Helmet looks at the screen and everybody get that? It's, you know, that where you're just so watching a movie and all of a sudden you're like, he just talked to us and it's so Even just... Like I love you the fourth idiots, wall you breaks. caught the stunt doubles. <laughs> oh, I love that. I, I mean, I absolutely love that. I think even it's, something as simple as doing the Alien parody and it being the actor from Alien, from Alien, and, and him then saying, taking "Oh it no, not again!" <laughs> like, <laughs> it, it's it it's is, very brilliant, and the amount yeah. of ca- I forgot how many a I forgot how many cameos are in this, and then there's a lot of like before they were famous people playing very small bit parts mm-hmm. in this movie as well, which is crazy. Yeah. I love seeing that too. That's always fun to like kind of, yeah, I see that small, but we were talking about the desert earlier with the temperatures and stuff, but they also said the Yuma desert was really, and I never thought about this in any movie that has a desert scene. They said it was really difficult and took so much time because you do one take and you ruin the sand and the pristine quality of it looks like no one's stepped there. Oh, so after smart. one take, oh, they have no. to get like a blower and like sand broom to re-smooth out the sand before the next take. And I'd never thought about that in any desert movie. I mean, you get yeah, like... but I guess for sure, if you want those single footprints in the sand, you've got to like but like, it. And you have to take them out because if you're stranded in the sand, there wouldn't be fucking footprints there. And so it's just like, oh my God, and you know it's hot. And it's just like, what? A, being on set is already not a drag, but it, it's a process. It's a lot of sitting around and waiting, a lot. And just to think of those extra elements, you're like, oh my gosh. Which I love the ding, ding. Ding 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 ding, 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 and then when they start talking, ding, 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 like it's just so. so there, funny. there's another one of the, but one of the dinks in <laughs> in the movie is in a, in like a before they were famous type situation. One of the dinks is played by uh, Tony Cox, who 
I feel like probably became one of the most well-known um, little person actors in the late 2000s um, and into the early uh, late 90s, early 2000s. He was in like Bad Santa, Me, Myself and Irene, Friday. Oh yeah, this was yeah. one of his first movies. Uh, he was I an guess Ewok. I didn't know in, his name. Yeah, he was an Ewok in Return of the Jedi, and then he was a Dink in Spaceballs. I didn't know that. That's crazy. Yeah, he's like a really well-known actor. Oh, that's cr- that's funny. That's um, that's cool. Yeah. Wow. That was that's. Yeah. Fun. There's there's a few that like jumped out at me. Um, one of the one of the many. There's a couple pretty decent named people who appear as dark helmet soldiers, um, but one of them is Robert Paulson, who's a, a very established voice actor now who is like the mm. voice of Yakko Warner on Animaniacs. Like if you look at his credits, it's, it's a pretty impressively long list of mm-hmm. cartoons that he was a part of, but yeah, he, he cool. was just a struggling young actor in 1987 deciding okay. to, to be in a Mel Brooks movie. And uh, another one that jumped out at me was, I never know how to pronounce his name. Uh, Steven Toblowski, I want to say it's pronounced, but uh, he's the, I think the line that he, people quote most at him is Groundhog's Day, the watch your step, it's a doozy, like that actor <laughs> yeah, was yeah, yeah. was just a random soldier <laughs> in Spaceballs as well when he was a young and up and coming oh actor. Kelsey, I would just die think. being a young and up and coming actor if someone was like, you're going to be like this like background soldier in a Mel Brooks film, I would be like, I will pay you to be on set with Mel Brooks. <laughs> I will but, give you my money. But that's how certain things like that happen. I remember I got to interview the, the director of um, Can't Hardly Wait at one yeah, point. Yeah. And we were talking about how that movie's got so many, like before they were famous people in it. Like you've got mm-hmm. like Jason Siegel like in there who barely has a line of dialogue. And he said, you're making a movie about a high school graduation and you need to make it look like an entire high school is there. So you post an ad that you're looking for actors between the ages of like 17 and 22. And you're going to get every actor that's like struggling to make ends meet to so come and film of, that. Yeah. He's like, eventually some it. of them are going to blow up. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, that's funny. It's, yeah, it's true. Yeah. Speaking of, movies with people that have blown up you ever seen the wizard of oz (laughs) (laughs) that was a terrible segment so the um they filmed the sound set studio that they used at mgm studio 15 is where they filmed Spaceballs, and that's where they filmed the wizard of oz and mel brooks would always kind of be like oh i'd have to keep reminding me that like you know they were here and this that but i thought that was cool i don't know if this is the reason why but they have that kind of little homage to the wizard of oz when they're going to meet yogurt for the first time and you have them all lined up scared and it's the big flame and it literally looks like scarecrow dorothy tin man yeah that's so I, that's that's a fun little fact sorry i'm also looking at this and this is the i'm looking at the wikipedia page and it's the first time that i realized that mel brooks's character president scroob is just it's brooks backwards except for the r <laughs> yeah it's it's the r had to be but yeah he tried to do it backwards and he's like i'm trying to make fun of all the presidents that are idiots and shouldn't be leading and they're leading (laughs) (laughs) that's insane i was never in a million years was i like oh that's an anagram for his last name (laughs) which i love scroob i love when he gets beamed down and i love that little nod to star trek but when he gets beamed backwards and he's like what that he looks down he's like why didn't anyone tell me my ass is so big (laughs) i can see every time so this movie a fun fact about Spaceballs for me uh was that I remember being at my my cousin's house. I was probably four years old, easily. And all the parents were upstairs watching this new movie that had just come out on VHS, Spaceballs. And I was in the basement playing with some toys. And I walked upstairs, and I walked upstairs just in time for the alien scene, where the alien bursted out of John Hurt's chest. And it scared me so bad that I ran back downstairs and was like afraid to watch to come upstairs until my parents told me that the movie was over. Flash forward to two years later, and my dad's like, I think it's time for Matt to watch Star Wars. And within the first couple minutes, I see Darth Vader. I think that it's Dark Helmet and that we're about to watch that movie that I saw them watching. And I have like a full, I had a full-blown panic attack. Like my dad had to sit me down and be like, no, nothing bursts out of anyone's chest in this. You're going to be okay. And like, you know, now I love those star Wars movies, but I, to this day, vividly remember 
like an existential panic <laughs> wash over me when I saw Darth Vader show up for the first time. So it's like, oh no. <laughs> Which I love. I was just like thinking of Darth Vader in the entrance. You know, every Star Wars, the original starts with the kind of pan of the ship, you know, a, a Imperial ship. And I love that they do that with this, that it takes like two minutes for the ship to go by. It's it just so keeps long. Dun, dun. Like it's just... <laughs> overly long it's it and that's where you go okay this is funny and then you go okay god what is this gonna end and that's when you have to push it a little longer with something like that where and he does then you go oh my god this is so stupid i'm laughing and it's It's the family guy effect now like family guy like has rocked that method yes for for decades now but it takes a lot of balls to do that in my opinion because that's a bold move to take up that kind of time because time is very valuable if it doesn't become funny again, you've just wasted the entire audience's time yeah, and they're checked lose, out and entirely. It can be a very risky move, but when done properly, it can be such a strong comedic thing. And yeah, Family Guy really, really does it well. I guess Seth MacFarlane's great too. He's a yeah. genius. Um, I, uh, I I think Lonely Island has gotten really good at doing that. I think of the movie Hot Rod, if you've ever seen. It's been end. a while, actually. But yeah, him falling down the hill, I remember. Yes, is yes, like, yes, yes, yes. It's like two minutes long and it. It does that so, same thing. And the longer it goes on, you just can't not laugh more and more. You're like, oh my God, they just, he keeps going. Yeah. It's like, those are those moments where you're just like, holy shit, how is this so funny still? Yeah. Like, worst was, movie of the year. Don't, like, let that go, Matt. Let it go. Let it go. So just, let's talk about a fun, popular theory that was um, on set, very popular. At the time, they thought with the new technology that green green or blue screen was bad for your eyes if you had long exposure which now we know to be not true so a lot of the actors is specifically bill pullman would wear sunglasses in between takes so that they would protect their eyes which is funny because bill pullman who stared or sorry bill pullman who started independence day with like the most like lights yeah this that you know <laughs> was afraid a green screen would hurt his eyes while filming space balls so oh we have to talk about uh, it's a small part, but boy, is it ever a memorable part. Um, Dom DeLuise showing up briefly as the voice of Pizza the Hut. One of one of the I love Dom DeLuise. One of the best jokes uh, that scene. I think every sentence that is said during the Pizza the Hut scene makes me laugh still to this day. Uh, even just something as simple as his robot assistant, Vinny, just going, you're delicious, boss. <laughs> like it's- The actor that was inside the Pizza the Hut actually got burned. So oh, they shit. did, they put real pizza toppings on him because it was like the most realistic effect. And it does look like it. And I think he had like this like heating helmet or something on and he ended up getting burned and he wouldn't finish it because he was like, I'm burned. No. And so someone else had to step in at the last minute and like finish the last take they needed or something or whatever but yeah ooh, yeah and i and i just love dom deloise dom deloise is uh, dom deloise in blazing saddles is my all-time favorite performance that scene is unbelievable like it's (laughs) my absolute like i can't get over him i we definitely have to do blazing saddles because that's just also his voice was so important to so many things i watched like as a kid who watched Mm -hmm. you know all dolls go to heaven as a kid like he found this other second career is just being born with the perfect voice for voiceover you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like he didn't even have to put on a put on a character it's like just open up your mouth and talk and you sound like you're a cartoon character. And I, I kind of love that. I do too. Yeah. Um, I think my favorite part of this movie that my sister and I quote all the time. And I, I remember one time my sister and I were watching this movie together and we'd seen it before, but we were like in tears laughing as when he's we'll jump to light speed. No light speed's not fast enough. Jump to ludicrous speed. And they're oh, ludicrous. It's too dangerous. He's like, you know, I'll give you this, you know, and he's like, aren't you going to buckle up, sir? Buckle this. But when he's flying and he's, my brains are shutting into my feet. And he's, stop. It's too dangerous. We can't stop. Bullshit. That (laughs) bullshit. Like, by the time he gets to that, we are always in tears laughing. And now, like, anything that we'll be talking and if someone says something or this, that, we always, bullshit. (laughs) Like, slowly. Even, like, They've gone plaid. We also got to give a which Tesla. A shout out. Do you know Tesla has a ludicrous speed? And there's rumor that there's going to be a plaid setting. 
So they think like Elon Musk must no. be a Spaceballs fan. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure I'm setting. positive he is. Uh, I do also want to give a shout out to Ronnie Graham, uh, who wrote a bunch of episodes of MASH and then just pretty much exclusively appeared in Mel Brooks movies for for the rest of his acting career. But he plays the minister in this movie and has just some of the best lines in the in the whole movie. But the the one that I always think of is, Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to witness Princess Vespa, daughter of King Roland, going right past the altar, heading down the ramp and out the door. (laughs) I do love that too. It's so good. It's, that's good too. Um, I totally forgot. So I I did mention earlier that Rick Moranis improvised a lot, but um, the scene that he completely improvised is when he's playing with the dolls, the action figures. It was completely, and (laughs) If I do recall, that was like a, a running gag for the set. Like he was like doing that and it wasn't in the script. But because they, I think they had these action figures for the merchandising scene. And so he started like doing that for like a side gag just for their own entertainment. And then they were like, we got to put this in the movie. And so that whole thing is improvised, which I, I love. Did you were see you anything? With- no, no, sir. I did not see you playing with your dolls again. <laughs> which that role was supposed to be played by Steve Martin. I could 1,000 yeah. percent oh, see that, Steve that, Martin. Like, yeah, in and that he role. was too busy. I mean, he was that was kind of a, a lot was going on for him at that time, so he turned it down. But it was, I mean, he did a great job. It was executed. I was going to say the actor who did play George Weiner, I believe, is how that's pronounced. I mean, he does crush it in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Um, holy shit! Okay, sorry, I'm looking at his filmography. And he's in he's in American Pie too. And as soon as I read who he played, I can see it now. Uh, it's a very small part, but he played the camp. He played the director at Michelle's band camp, who plays the trumpet that okay. was in Jason Biggs's ass. But I never would have pieced that together until this moment. But the second I read that, I'm like, yep, I can actually one thousand percent see that that was Colonel Sanders' chicken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my god, I, it's it's so good and. Gosh, what was there was another. I love when they're in the desert too, and he's like, All right, continue. Preparing to go. Prepare to go. Why are you always preparing for things? Just go. <laughs> and it's like safari helmet. Which that vehicle kind of looks like a hovercraft in the sand. This was the first time I've ever caught this. I was watching it and I was looking at it and I was like, What does that look? Oh, that's brilliant. The car, the bottom of that vehicle is a mirror. And so it looks, it's oh. reflecting off the sand, so it looks like it's hovering. So if you watch it again, look at oh, it, you can tell it's a mirror if you, if you know it is. And I thought that was a really clever way to make it look like it's And I love that his helmet, when it falls, it's got like a little smiley face sketched into his safari helmet. Like the, the details, there's so many good details in this movie. Oh, God. It's a perfect film. Yeah. It's, it's really a perfect comedy. It really is, yeah. It's, it's great. And I, I've got a bunch of like moments of the film that, I'm like, oh, this part, that part, but you know, it's I, I could sit and quote the whole thing, and every yeah, eventually every is, we'll is, just we'll just do a radio play of it. Exactly, <laughs> I, I don't want that to turn into this and people being like, I don't want to sit here listening to you reenact the fucking movie, Kelsey. Get out. So that's you know, obviously, there's like so many moments to talk about, but it's uh, that's the bulk of my love I can give today without going on a rampage. Hey, do you have an idea for a podcast but don't know where to start? Or do you have an already existing podcast that you want to take to the next level? Well, check out WeKnowPodcasting.com. From concept development to theme music to editing to logos, WeKnowPodcasting.com is a one-stop shop for all things pod. Don't hesitate to hit us up. We're very nice. Gelsey, while we were talking about this movie, we brought up the concept that George Lucas uh, did not allow there to be space balls, merchandising, and action figures, which I, I understand his side of it. Yeah. But if that wasn't the case, and they did make space balls action figures, and you could only own one action figure from the space balls line, which action figure would you buy? I can't not say Dark Helmet. It's just too funny. <laughs> so I kind of agree with you. I was. I feel like if I went with my heart, I would say barf because I love the character of barf. But if I'm going with what will look the funniest on my shelf, it's got to be Dark Helmet. (laughs) And it's like so iconic. It's just so iconic that anyone would see it and be like, oh, my gosh, that's hilarious. I feel kind of bad because I feel like a lot of people wouldn't buy the Lone Star or the Princess Vespa toys. No, you know what? 
the Princess Vespa was a thought just because I think that would look kind of cool. And like, I like having like a lot of powerful women surrounding me as icons and people I look up to. Not that Princess Vespa is one of them, but I, she got, I love her. Actually, you know what? I'm going to change my answer because they only show us the main characters as action figures, right? But let's mm-hmm. say it was similar to Star Wars where they start making extra like toys of every character that appears in this. I think I want a Pizza the Hut action figure for my shelf. Perfect. It kind of grosses me out the Pizza the Hut. So I don't think I would. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to stick with pizza. my dark helmet. I love Pizza yeah. the Hut. So but much. you know, it's funny you said this. I actually have a window open right now because I was like, okay, they don't have merchandising. I was like, but this is how many years later and the internet exists now with people in small shops. So let me just. Oh, there's definitely like a Spaceballs the T-shirt that you can buy there's, from there's Etsy. There's a, a yeah. Spaceballs the everything. Like everything exists now because of like Redbubble and this, that. So I found this T-shirt that I was like, oh, I really want it. But then I found that the guy that – the artist that made it – um does a couple other Mel Brooks ones. And so I found this, it's open this blazing saddles t-shirt that I'm just every day. Like is today the day I click buy, <laughs> And it's this real, he has a young Frankenstein blazing saddles and space balls. And it's like a lineup of the characters all like cartoon drawn just simply across the chest. And there's, they're very, it's so, they're so cool. Like I want them all, but I was gonna say, why not I just think, get them all? <laughs> cause, cause money, Matt, cause uh. you can't buy fun novelty t-shirts when you only work on a Monday. But you know what? I have a feeling that you're going to land a gig somewhere on like the Daily Show one of these days. So, I hope so. But if people are listening and they're like, no, you fools, you should try to get like a Colonel Sanders action figure. Where can they go to let us know how disappointed they are on our action figure choices? You can let us know of your disappointment on Instagram. Find us. Our handle is at before my time underscore podcast or on Facebook. Just search before my time. That's right. We will show up. And then you can be like, you idiots. Why would you pick those characters as your action figures? You should pick these characters as your action figures. And then we can get in a little heated online debate and be like everyone else. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, You should leave a five-star review. Just saying. Okay, bye. Network. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.